X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon, and it is Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, November 25th, 2020. As we enter the holiday season and focus on gratitude in a year when that might be hard to find, we want to say thanks to joining us on this journey. It began with the governor's shutdown of our state in the pandemic. It has now, with this, reached our 178th episode. We've covered the good news, the hard news of the pandemic, the fight for racial justice, the historic election, and we're so grateful to all the people who've made it possible. We think it's worth doing. We appreciate the people who listen. And we will be back on Monday. X-Ray. Today, back in the day, November 25th, 1841, 35 survivors of the mutiny on the slave ship Amistad began their voyage back home to Sierra Leone. Two years earlier in 1839, 53 recently abducted Africans revolted against their Spanish captors. But the U.S. Navy seized the ship off the Long Island coast. They took the mutineers to jail in New Haven, Connecticut, where slavery was legal. The ensuing trial had important repercussions in the American abolitionist movement. Former U.S. President John Quincy Adams argued in support of the Amistad rebels before the Supreme Court. And in March 1841, the Supreme Court ruled that Africans were illegally kidnapped and thus had the right to escape by any means necessary. After that, northern abolitionists helped raise funds for the surviving rebels to return home. And so today, back in the day, November 25, 1841, those survivors set sail for Sierra Leone as free men. And today, back in the day, November 25, 1946, the Supreme Court granted Tillamook natives land payment rights. Eleven Tillamook tribes sued the U.S. government under the Indian Claims Act of 1946. This Supreme Court decision was the first ever judicial compensation for the taking of native lands unrecognized by a specific treaty obligation. It took until the late 1970s for the Commission to hear all the claims filed by indigenous tribes. And the Indian Claims Commission was founded as a way to thank Native Americans for their service during World War II. And as we give thanks this holiday season, let's give thanks to the land upon which we live to the people who live among us and who came before us, and for the ability to work together to bend the arc of history towards justice. We'll start with the Quick Six News headlines, and we'll have an interview with Katie Connors, the advisory board chair at the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon. X-Ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick Six local rundown. Activists have formally announced a campaign to recall Mayor Ted Wheeler and City Commissioner Dan Ryan. The effort's going to be funded by a PAC founded November 5th called the Total Recall PAC, the founders are lawyer Alan Kessler and former city council candidate Seth Woolley. In a press release on Tuesday, the two activists condemned Dan Ryan's deciding to vote to reject $18 million in cuts to the police budget, a proposal that was originally championed by Joanne Hardesty, and was the culmination of months of protest demanding transformation in community safety. According to the PAC, the vote directly contradicted Ryan's messaging during his campaign over the summer. Speaking on Ryan's no vote, Kessler said, and I am quoting, I feel betrayed. I want my vote back. I want an apology. They also criticized Mayor Wheeler for running a dirty campaign, accused him of violating campaign finance laws with his large self-contributions. Earlier this month, the city dismissed those charges against Wheeler because, according to the city auditor, the city's limits against self-funding are likely unconstitutional. Kat Mahoney and Max Smith, two racial justice protesters, are also involved in the PAC. The campaign now has two major checkpoints it has to reach before it can launch its recall election. First, both candidates have to be in office for more than six months. And second, they have to gather at least 35,925 valid signatures from registered voters. According to the PAC, petitioners plan to hit the streets next summer. 
any recall election is at least a year away. It would be the first recall vote against Portland officials since 1952. That year, voters successfully recalled City Commissioner J.E. Bennett. Here's what was printed in the ballot to recall J.E. Bennett back in 1952. From his position as a member of city council, he's been discourteous, abusive, uncouth, insulting with personal scandalous attacks, insults, ridicule, and abuse towards respectable citizens of the city of Portland attempting to conduct city affairs. He's expressed personal prejudice and hatred for certain of our law-abiding citizens and certain businesses lawfully authorized by Oregon law. He's accused the courts of Oregon of being corrupt and their officers as contemptible and ridiculous. He has caused Portland to be disliked and unpopular with the citizens of the rest of the state by vicious personal attacks upon the lawmaking and law enforcing officers, including the governor, thereby injuring Portland's business goodwill and its position of leadership and influence in the state. In Jules Lansing's book, she described Bennett as an arch-conservative, red-baiting, contentious, and obnoxious. He was also an ardent prohibitionist. Running against the tenor of the times in 1952, Oregon also began to permit bars to serve liquor by the drink. Here's your daily dose of data. Yesterday, Oregon Health Authority announced 1,011 new cases of COVID-19, making the seventh straight day of cases above 1,000 and bringing Oregon's total to 67,333. They also announced 21 new deaths, setting another grim record just as we head into one of the busiest travel days of the year. Since March, COVID-19 has claimed the lives of 847 Oregonians, Hospitalizations also continue to rise in Region 1, where Portland is located. Yesterday, the number of hospitalized patients with COVID-19 symptoms rose by 9 to 258. As of yesterday, ICU beds in our region were at 82% capacity. In other COVID news, a new study shows that transmission rates in emergency rooms are actually quite low. The study was spurred by a decline in emergency room visits for other serious conditions, raising the concern that folks are avoiding the ER out of fear of catching the virus. The researchers ultimately found little link between sharing an ER room with someone who tested positive and testing positive for the virus later. They attribute these findings to the rigorous use of PPE and air ventilation in ERs across the western U.S. Their study adds to growing evidence that the virus does not spread as rapidly in hospitals compared to other public spaces. Waiting week payments are finally making their way to Oregon's unemployment recipients. Under normal circumstances, those who file for unemployment don't receive payments for the first week. It's known as waiting week. But the CARES Act, which was passed in March, allows states to pay recipients for that first week as well. Oregon, which has never paid waiting week unemployment before, is officially the last state to get those checks in the mail. Since last week, over 200,000 Oregonians have received their waiting week payments. They range up to $800, total cost of $176 million to the state. Oregon Employment Department is also stating that about 170,000 payments are still delayed. Come on, Employment Department, I'm rooting for you. Because those payments have to be processed manually, they might not go out until late December. By the way, waiting week payments were initially resisted by Salem after the CARES Act passed. Governor Kate Brown only authorized those payments after pressure from Oregon's congressional representatives, including Senator Ron Wyden. A proposed extension to Oregon's eviction moratorium is meeting criticism from both renters and landlords. Oregon's current moratorium on evictions is set to expire at the end of the year, and with no special session currently scheduled, its future remains uncertain. If the moratorium lapses without an extension, thousands of renters could find themselves facing eviction. Yet with COVID cases soaring, the risks of holding a third special session to extend the moratorium have only gotten higher. Last week, House Speaker Tina Kotek called on the governor to declare a, quote, 
catastrophic disaster, which would allow legislators to be virtually and avoid the Capitol building. That declaration, however, hasn't come yet. Even still, lawmakers have prepared a draft bill that would extend the moratorium to the end of June. It also includes a $100 million fund to help landlords recoup their lost rent. That draft bill is now facing criticism from both renters and landlords. Landlord groups argue that the bill doesn't provide enough assistance for them and that due to the moratorium, landlords are starting to take their rentals off the already struggling market. Meanwhile, renter advocates are concerned about a new requirement in the proposal, which states that renters must inform their landlords when they can't pay due to the pandemic. According to Katrina Holland of Join PDX, that could cause renters to experience retaliation. Holland also questioned the $100 million fund, saying, quote, we need hundreds of millions. Development has been suspended on a Columbia River methanol plant after a judge voided their permits. The Northwest Innovation Works plant was originally set to begin construction on the Washington side of the Columbia River, where it would convert Canadian natural gas into methanol, and that then would be shipped to China. Because that's generally what we want to do with our carbon, is put on a boat and ship it to China. On Monday, however, U.S. District Judge Robert Bryan sided with environmentalists. They argued that U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had not performed a thorough enough review. Those environmental groups included Columbia Riverkeeper and the Sierra Club. The judge ordered the Corps of Engineers to conduct a fuller assessment of the plant's environmental impacts while rejecting the argument the project be reviewed under the Endangered Species Act. This is just the latest setback to the methanol plant. Last year, the Department of Ecology of Washington State delayed the project for failing to fully project their greenhouse gas emissions. They later determined the plant would be among the top 10 greenhouse gas polluters in the state. And finally, some good news. Despite the budget woes of 2020, plans to open a new homeless shelter in 2022 are moving forward. The five-story, 24,000-square-foot shelter will be part of a mental health center, part transitional housing. Making it the first of its kind in downtown Portland, the goal is to provide one location that both treats the mental illnesses that make it difficult for some folks to stay housed and provides temporary housing and services in between appointments. The designers are also taking a, quote, trauma-informed approach to their renovations. To accomplish this, they're avoiding blind corners and rigid geometric patterns, as well as adding large windows to make use of natural light. Plans to convert the building on Southwest Park Avenue were first approved in 2019, before the pandemic closed businesses and put the state's budget in crisis. Yet despite the pandemic, plans to finance the design and renovation of the building are moving ahead. About $11 million were set aside before the pandemic, a little more than half of the project's estimated costs. Those funds have remained in place to keep the project moving forward towards its completion in 2022. And that's today's today's Quick quick 6 Local Rundown. rundown. Up next, we have an interview with Katie Connors, the advisory board chair at the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon. She'll talk with Christine Alexander about the IRAO's push for financial relief for restaurants during the pandemic. Here are Katie and Christine. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Christine. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Doing all right. Doing all right. So uh, this new lockdown, we've got a lot to talk about, about the restaurant um, industry here in Portland and Oregon and, of course, across the country. First, though, um, I was hoping you could maybe fill our listeners and me in on the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon. What exactly is that and what do they do? Absolutely. So um, the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon is a 5013C um, nonprofit, which formed at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic back in March. Um, We formed as the Portland Independent Restaurant Alliance, but as we continued our work through the 
through the pandemic and those months, we realized that we needed to go statewide. Um, so we represent Oregon's neighborhood restaurants and bars and the thousands that they employ. Wow, uh, that's a <laughs> that's a big job. Um, <laughs> so I, you said you you started this at the beginning of the pandemic. So how quickly yeah. did the restaurant industry feel the effects of the pandemic? Um, I would say right away, even before the closure, um, mm. so back in March. So we were as a group here in Portland experiencing, um, you know, the effects of the pandemic pretty immediately because we are gathering spaces and we were potential places of contagion. So we identified the fact that one, um, we couldn't run our restaurants the way that we normally did. And we had no idea what the COVID-19 crisis was going to bring to us. Um, We also knew that, you know, we needed to take action and gather right away um, and advocate for ourselves because our sales were already starting to decline um, in the last weeks of February and going into March. And we were going to need help. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, that's when we came together and um, made sure that our voices were heard. Uh, We wrote a letter to the governor sort of insisting that she shut restaurants down. At that point, we thought that our businesses were going to be covered by insurance, interruption insurance, um, due to closure. And, you know, we realized there soon quickly thereafter that that the closure was not covered by business insurance. And so um, we also wanted to come together as a group and basically resource as a community um, all the different things that we would need through the COVID crisis. None of us had run businesses before during a pandemic, obviously. obviously. And we had our teams needed certain things and our business needed certain things. And so we developed communication channels, a website, social media platform, just to try to get resources out to um, restaurants and restaurant workers. Our guest is Katie Connors um, from the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon, which I will call R-I-R-A-O from now on, just to make it quicker. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned insurance. I think a lot of us know that the restaurant and bar industry has been hit really hard. It didn't even occur to me that there might be insurance to cover this. And now that we find that it's not covering it, how how are people faring out there? And what are the, some of the key things that the IRAO is advocating for? Absolutely. So, yes, so the insurance does not cover any of the closures. Um, we have not received any federal aid per se. There was PPP program that went out with the CARES Act at the end of March. Um, but here in Oregon, we are advocating for simple things like cocktails to go and a commercial eviction moratorium and um, a restaurant civilization fund. We are also on the national level advocating for the Restaurants Act, which was presented by our own Congressman Earl Blumenhauer, um, which is a bipartisan act that we're trying to get passed through in the next stimulus package. When do you think that's going to happen? Oh, gosh. <laughs> that is the golden question, isn't it? It is. So, um, we, we, you know, we don't know if it's going to be happening this year, but hopefully the stimulus, we can get that passed in the upcoming year. So in the meantime, um, what, what are you doing for food service workers in particular? We are advocating, um, so we recently sent a letter into the governor this past weekend um, advocating for making sure that the UI programming is, you know, ready to go because we expect that due to this closure, this upcoming Sunday, there's going to be over 50,000 new unemployment applications coming into the office. Yeah. Um, we also just want to make sure that all those resources are going out. We are advocating for businesses to stabilize so that these workers have jobs when they when restaurants can open back up. 
Um, and we just want to make sure that workers are being heard and also business owners are being heard at this time, uh, making sure that there is communication avenues on a city, state, and county level. Because um, right now, that's what's really struggling, or really at, sort of struggling to be heard at that level. And and uh, you know, I'm kind of curious because we've we've all heard the bad news, and we've tried to support our local bars and restaurants as much as we can. But how much have we lost? How how many independent restaurants are have gone out of business since March, or roughly, if you know? And and what do you think it looks like uh, for the next few months? Absolutely. So I mean. It's a really difficult thing to track, honestly, um, mm. because a lot of these different closures are self-reported and a lot of businesses just didn't reopen after the closer, closure in March. And then again, after the fires in September, people just sort of quietly shuttered and didn't do any reporting. We have, you know, our organization doesn't really have the infrastructure to track that statewide, but we have do have a self-reporting system and we've tracked hundreds of businesses that have closed throughout Oregon. Um, if we do not receive any help, if we don't get cocktails to go past, if we don't receive a commercial, a commercial eviction moratorium um, going into the new year, we really fear that these businesses, we're going to start seeing 50 to 75 percent of independent restaurant and bars close throughout the state. Um, you know, the Independent Restaurant Coalition, which we work really closely with, that is advocating for the Restaurants Act on the national level, anticipates that if we do not see any action, you know, through a stimulus package, if we don't get the Restaurants Act passed, we could see up to 80% of independent restaurants close nationwide. And, you know, it's, it's devastating because here in Oregon, we have the restaurant industry employs over 200,000 jobs here in Oregon. And we represent um, about 11% of the economy. Wow. So it really tears a humongous hole um, not only within restaurants, but also farms and wineries and all of these amazing makers and producers that we pride ourselves with so much here in Oregon. Well, I think, Katie, it's so interesting because we all see the the horrifying numbers coming out now with the rise in COVID cases and COVID deaths. And it sounds like in a lot of ways, the 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 restaurant industry and the restaurant workers, food service workers, are sort of that silent number that we don't really see in the headlines and it it's like the the silent killer of covid of this the lifeblood of so many people yes i mean i, I think you're absolutely right restaurants are a, a cornerstone economy or cornerstone of our economy um that's what, and also the cornerstone of our culture here especially in portland you know um, people travel from all over the world to dine at our tables yeah and to eat our food and to drink our wine and drink our amazing beer um, and it really is, we, I think that we just have no idea how devastating this could potentially be to not only our restaurant industry, but also our tourism industry. And that, you know, that ripples out well, throughout our economy. Well, speaking of rippling out, like you say, Portland is one of the country's foremost food cities. It is. And yeah. so we know we've been hit hard here in Portland, but what's happening with the restaurant industry in other towns around Oregon and the Northwest? They are equally being devastated. I mean, we, um, we the letter that we submitted this past weekend to Governor Kate Brown and other policymakers here in Oregon, um, we gathered over 500 signatures. And this is this, those signatures came through from throughout the state. And we also, at the same time, gathered testimony from those people that were signing. Um, and most of them, you know, in Cannon Beach, in Salem, in Bend, in Eugene, um, in Eastern Oregon, 
we had many of them say that this closure will, will shutter their businesses um, permanently. So these small businesses that have, you know, little minute economies where these local, they, you know, these might have been mom and pop shops that were multi-generational that have you know, the connections with their local farmers, that have the connections with their local workers, um, they, are, they are closing, um, unfortunately. And, you know, we just want to make sure that we don't forget about these places, that, that these places come to the forefront and that we fight for them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're going, everyone's going through a really, really, really tough time right now. The COVID-19 crisis has affected absolutely everyone twice over. Um, but the restaurant industry, you know, during the two, 2008 economic crisis, the restaurant in- industry was pivotal in making sure that Oregon was able to crawl out of that. And we can really, we can do this again. Um, it's, it's jobs, you know, if we can bring back jobs if we have the ability to. Our guest is Katie Connors. She's on the she's the advisory board chair at the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon. So, Katie, it's interesting because um, uh, there are lots of ways to support our, uh, local restaurants. I know I, for one, instead of making Thanksgiving dinner, I am ordering it from a restaurant and picking it up the day before. Right. You know. So, what are some of the other ways that that we as individuals who maybe don't work in the uh, food uh, industry can support our local restaurants and help them move forward and stay afloat the, for that matter. Yes, absolutely. So over the next two to four weeks, depending on where you live, um, order takeout as much as you can possibly possibly can and tip your workers. Um, you know, most of them are now dealing with cut hours and less tips and they can't have dine-in. So, you know, ordering as much as you can, tipping your workers. Secondly, um, visiting our website, indprestaurants.org. There's a take action button, um, which will show you how to contact your local state representative and advocate for restaurants. Um, Right now, we are asking for a special session to happen in December so that we can get legislation like Cocktails to Go and a commercial eviction moratorium passed. Um, 33 other states have passed Cocktails to Go, including Washington and California. We've spoken to restaurants in those areas, and Cocktails to Go has been an essential lifeline during this time in order to get the income um, that restaurants need in order to pay rent. So right now, we're really, really, really trying to advocate for a December special session. We need to get Governor Kate Brown on board, um, and we just need to make sure that our legislators are are getting back to work in December to save our small businesses and and our workers. And what kind of indications are you getting that, that you can get that support from the governor and the legislature? You know, we recently heard from House Speaker Tina Kotex that she is very supportive in calling a, it's called a catastrophic special session. So it would be a remote session. It would be the first one called. Um, wow, in the history of Oregon? In the history of Oregon. Holy Toledo. I know. It's, it's, <laughs> we're, we're getting Toledo, there. Oregon, I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, we're getting there. So Tina Kotek just called for a catastrophic special session to be held in December. Um, right now, we just need to get the Senate, the, the state Senate on board, which um, President Peter Courtney has shown support of cocktails to go. And um, the governor is also open to that as well. We just need to gather a little bit more support statewide specifically. Um, Portland has been wonderful in advocating and so now we just need to make make those phone calls from Salem, Eugene, the coast, elsewhere, and just, you know, urge urge our legislators to act. 
Uh, Katie, so we're we're talking about the restaurants, and I think all of us are thinking about the servers and the the kitchen staff and the bussers and all the people who work in the restaurant. But what about what about the other parts of the food industry, the farms, the equipment supply stores? How have restaurant closures and and the the lowering of business to them affected other parts of the food industry? It's, I mean, so I we speak to farmers pretty regularly. Um, they they're also part of our our larger coalition, and a lot of them, rather than selling food to restaurants, they've had to pivot to sell CSA and which is community supported agriculture boxes to their local neighbors and things like that, which is not as profitable. Right. Um, you know, it is it's a pivot. You know, it it's not as profitable as selling bulk orders to restaurants on a regular basis. Um, which means that they've had to lay off workers as well. They cannot grow their crop. Their crops have to be completely different than they were last year. They are struggling to stay afloat. Um, the wineries are, are the same, you know, they're being able to sell to retailers, but they mostly, they made a lot of money off of selling cases of wine to restaurants that were going through it very, very quickly. Mm. Um, so I don't right now, I think that people are limping along trying to, you know, hold out, as long as they can, but we don't know how long this crisis is going to last. Um, so in addition to the commercial eviction moratorium and, and the cocktails to go, we also are really requesting um, a stabilization fund for our, for our industry from, from the governor and also um, the federal government. Uh, my guest is Katie Connors, the advisory board chair at the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon. We're talking about how the uh, pandemic has affected restaurants in Oregon, the Northwest, and across the country. So, you know, speaking of that, I mean, what do you think the restaurant landscape in Oregon will look like after the pandemic, which, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, with this news that the these uh, couple of vaccines are uh, on the horizon, what do you think is going to happen uh, when in the future? Well, we're really hoping that our independent restaurants will, one, be around. Um, right now, you know, our more corporate entities aren't really suffering that much. Anything with a drive-through, McDonald's, Chipotle, um, they're, they're doing fine right now. So we are really hoping that our independent restaurants will be here. And then when they are here, we think that outdoor dining is still going to be around for the next two to three years. So that is something that we anticipate just being around and being a thing, even when we do have a vaccine, um, just as this sort of becomes our new normal. So hmm. we, we really hope that um, we receive the help that we are asking for um, from our communities. And we hope that the restaurant industry can, can sort of dig out of this. But, you know, these closures, this, the permanent closures that are taking place right now are going to leave a scar. Um, we think that this is going to be impacting our economy for the next 10 years or so. Wow, that's devastating. Katie, um, so lastly, uh, real, uh, lastly, what I'm thinking again is, is we can go over again how we can support our neighborhood restaurants. You know, I was saying order your Thanksgiving. Instead of making a big Thanksgiving dinner, order it from the, your favorite restaurant to go. And I know some of them have deadlines of today in order to, mm-hmm. uh, um, to get those dinners. But So you said order to go. What else can we do to support our, our favorite restaurants? Um, I would just, you know, follow your favorite restaurants on social media. That's really the only way to really communicate and figure out what's kind of going on with restaurants right now. Everything is changing day to day, including, you know, what kind of services they're offering, if they're doing to go, 
if they're doing deliveries. So just make sure that you're following along on social media. That's a great way to sort of be in contact and understand what you can do. A lot of restaurants are also doing GoFundMes for their staff. Um, their staff that may be out of work right now, and a lot of restaurants are electing to cover people's health care during this freeze um, rather than letting them go and, and taking them away. So I would just make sure that you, if you can, support GoFundMes. Um, we are trying to gather information right now and what other resources we have for workers during this freeze here in Oregon. Um, so if, if that that's website that I gave you, indprestaurants.org. Um, we do should have a little, couple more resources coming out in the next couple of days. Um, but also that take action button. Really, the biggest thing we can do right now is contact your local representative and your local state senator um, in your district and advocate for a special session in December in order to get cocktails to go past a commercial eviction moratorium and a restaurant stabilization fund right now you know those are the actions that are really that mm. that legislation is going to be the things okay that are going to be the lo- the long lifeline for restaurants here in Oregon right now that website again was indprestaurants.org our guest yes. has been Katie Connors she's the advisory board chair at the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon Thank you so much for the work you're doing. I think it's uh, vital to save what we consider one of Portland's jewels is our restaurant uh, industry. Thank you for all you do, and, and I hope people go to support their local restaurants. Thanks, Katie. Thank you so much, Christine. It was a pleasure to be here. Nice to have you. So that was Katie Connors, again, from the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon. Thanks to Katie for joining The Local. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for your five-star review. And thank you, Democracy. Talk to you on Monday. X-Ray.